Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hello, my name is Dave Henry and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 32 of the No Encore podcast. A very, very special episode this week as I am joined by a brand new co-host who is making a one-and-done appearance on this, as I said, aforementioned very special episode. Uh, we have a feature-length interview with the man known as Sage Francis, who was in town for the Lingo Festival this year. He headlined the Workman's Club. It was a very raucous and frenetic gig, as is typical of the man, which ended in a group hug, which is not typical of the Workman's Club. But he took the time to sit in the studio at my Self and Alan Bennett, who joins me now. Hi, Hello. Alan. How Hello. are you? Well, not necessarily a new co-host. I was on the very famous Football Accumulator episode. Uh, no one, even I, don't even want to remember that episode. Well, that was a terrible. That, that, that's the best episode. No that was a point five. <laughs> it didn't count. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I get a message off Alan on Sunday morning as I'm lying there, kind of you know just waking up, and I'm asked if I'm a Sage Francis fan, which I am. And thankfully there was more to that, which was, uh, we can do an interview with him today. Are you ready for that? And being the, you know, always on the, on the ball journalist that I am. That's how I think of you. And always on the ball, on the ball. always yeah. on the ball journalist. Always on the ball journalist. Uh, yeah, I scribbled down some questions and we sat down with the man for an hour and he was an absolute gentleman. An absolute gentleman, yeah. Um, I, I would have liked to give him a hug myself. Uh, even though I wasn't in the workman's club the night before he didn't want any of that though did he he didn't, he didn't well I didn't offer him get your hands off me Bennett <laughs> so yeah Sage Francis for anyone who does not know is a spoken word artist a hip hop artist he raps he you know does poetry you name it I mean like like his, his his mouth his voice his cadence is his weapon although he doesn't he says he's not a spoken word artist anymore something he used to do he's not a beat he's not a slam poet yeah he's not a slam poet but I mean like, it, like it's, it's kind of 
hard to define, but he is definitely someone who's worth listening to. His, oh, absolutely. His speech is quite moving and mesmeric at times. Yep. Um, he's got a song called The Best of Times, which I'm quite obsessed with. A friend of mine put it on a playlist for me years and years ago. And yeah, it was an honor to kind of get and sit and listen to the man behind those words and many, many more. On this episode, we talked to him about all kinds of things, including uh, what you might expect, like Wikipedia's list of unusual deaths. Mm-hmm. We talked about Bob Dylan winning the Nobel Prize for Literature. We talked about B. Dolan, who is uh, a brother, Sage Francis's brother, apparently. That's what Sage says. Yeah, they, uh, they're a duo known as Epic Beardman. They played the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. We talked about that and kind of, you know, being in front of that kind of a crowd, that kind of a hardcore environment and what those two kind of get from each other. He's very, very um, deferential about B. Dolan. He, he kind of keeps putting him up there and saying that he's not as good as him. But I'd argue that he is. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, all right. Good argument. So yeah, um, it's a it's a wide ranging uh, topic of conversations as we talk to the man. He tells us about a date he was on. He does, and that's yeah. an amazing story. That is a great story, which yeah. I was very happy for. A, fir- to hear a first about. date. Yeah, I'm not sure if there was going to be a follow up on that one. Yeah, he he didn't divulge such no, information. No, but judging by the tone, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He also mentioned that he he doesn't hasn't really heard any of Kanye West. He couldn't name a Kanye West song. He's not really, yeah, like he doesn't really pay attention to kind of the model. Well, he's a very busy man. Like he I runs... wanted to bring Kanye Corner back up. Me and remember when B. Dolan was on, he had a B, uh, there was a Kanye Corner. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like given Sage's leanings in towards the more independent spectrum of things, like, he, you know, he kind of runs his own business. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that as well. We yep. talked about, you know, social how media we, and the pratfalls. How he divides the time between creativity and business running. Yep. And social media, the pratfalls and positives thereof. Uh, yeah, it was like, there's a lot here and he's a lot more together sounding than we are so without further ado this is sage francis and us sitting around and talking to him on occasion we're joined by sage francis uh just removed from the workman's club stage as part of this year's lingo festival um i'm not sure the workman's has ever had a group hug end the night before so that's something i've anyone anyone's ever seen how did that come Uh, about um i'm surprised that they're not as common as I make them at my shows. <laughs> I just, it always feels like the best way to get off of a stage and not have to go back on stage for an encore. Oh, it's a way of. That's a trick. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. no, but I'm like, well, I was getting kicked off anyway because I had reached the, the allotted time and they were closing down. So, it, but it's always, I like to go through the crowd and have a big hug session. I do it at practically every show, unless it's at a big, like a really big festival where the, there's a gate separating me from the crowd and something like that. Does anybody ever have a grope? <laughs> that <important>. has happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in fact, when the when Trump was talking about grabbing women by the pussy and it became a big to-do, and you know, everyone's like, that is sexual assault, but guy. So I almost weighed in on the conversation, like, listen, it's not just guys who do that. <laughs> like, literally, girls have just grabbed my dick yeah. like while I'm in the crowd. No, like, totally unapologetic. Like, you're not even a real person. <laughs> I just watched you on stage. Now my hand's on your dick. And I I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm traumatized over that. It's a different situation. But I grab back. That's for sure. Wow, is it like right. is, is it validation for the art? Because I mean, like you're up there talking about very emotional, personal things, and then that's the reaction. Yeah, I, I I've stopped trying to make sense of how people process me. Like it's all different ways and different types of people. Some get angry, some get elated, some get you know get horny maybe. Some maybe get horny. I I mean, I, there is a sexual energy on stage for certain parts of the show. I would say, and just having a a, a visceral. 
explosion, you know, of just human passion <laughs> through certain certain songs, and also playing with people's emotions from stage can can get them uh, vulnerable uh, or open to vulnerability. Plus, you know, if you're going to end the show with a 25-minute cover version of Pony by Genuine, you're going to have sexual energy in the crowd <laughs> without question. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us on, on the Sunday, your day of rest, of course. Um, how did you start your day? I started mine by listening to Bright Eyes and reading Wikipedia's list of unusual deaths. That's a Sunday for me. <laughs> I woke up, uh, I was trying to sleep as late as possible. I woke up probably around noon. I stayed up very late. Um, I walked to find brunch and i got brunch it was good and i walked back set up this meeting time for the podcast and <laughs> looked into sports pubs that may be showing the football games i want to watch today i've never had brunch in my life never had brunch is this a thing like i mean like should oh, it's I... a big thing now yeah uh, i don't like it it dublin. literally said brunch that's why i was like, yeah it's yeah. a really big thing in dublin at the moment it's big in where i live really yeah i didn't i didn't realize it was not a not a thing i here. thought it was just a simpsons joke from years ago, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's how it started. It's not quite breakfast. It's not quite lunch. But, you but get, I think but you get a good meal. Like I was like, is that it's actually a thing? I thought it was supposed to be a, a meal you have between breakfast and lunch, and I like that. But, but people have brunch. It sounds like a lot of food. It, re- yeah, but it like replaces breakfast and lunch, so it just becomes one meal. Right for me, okay. that's usually what a brunch. So what do you have? Was it like because I never wake up early enough for breakfast, and I okay. I don't want to eat lunch for the first thing I eat. So true. What I tend to eat is called brunch. And it's like breakfast food, like for yeah. Lunch, I mean, you could like get breakfast food or lunch food. I don't. I don't really know. I don't think the specific <laughs> items that we have to get. Brunch. We have to figure it out because that's that's what this podcast is about. I feel it? like different places will have will have different kinds of things, though. I mean, like I saw that you had a taxi driver when you got to Dublin. Who I presume you told me you're at the fringe over in Edinburgh. And yes. His response was to tell you that Scottish people are just Irishmen on the run. Yes. <laughs> now you said that you don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Do you know what that means? Uh, no. Well, I suppose he says it means that they're similar to Irish people, but they're not here. They're not as brave as us, or something. Or no, just run. I don't. Yeah, I don't know either because they're connected with England. Yeah, but we we have a commonality there because we both dislike the English. You know, traditionally. Don't speak for me, mate. Yeah, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Traditionally, like we, the Irish and and the and the Scottish don't like the English. Well, I think the the overall point here is that Dublin taxi drivers are a rare breed, and you never quite know what you're going to get. Did you get the whole "Are they you a like musician"? Talk, that's for sure. Yeah. Did you get the whole "Are you a musician" thing? Have you supported yeah. you too? That tends to be the question. The <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Do you know Bono? <laughs> I, I'd be surprised if that was brought up in 2016, honestly. But the 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 cab driver who said that Scottish people are just Irishmen on the run has a son who's a musician, and he was talking about how he looks just like me and he's like my age and he plays guitar and he's a singer songwriter and uh and then he called his son to ask if he knew me <laughs> and he was like um i've heard of sage francis i don't really know his stuff and then he's like telling me to check out his son's music so i actually did i checked it out when i got to, to my uh hotel room and he good you want to give it a plug yeah, is yeah. He good or is he terrible? <laughs> if he's really bad no, his he name was steven duffy raw and he does kind of blues rock um I think solo a musician right. and yet yeah, plays quite a bit around here, but tours from time to time. For get, a, get him on the pod. For a second there, it sounded almost like you were about to meet your long lost father. <laughs> <laughs> like there'd be like a moment where you both look at each other in the mirror That'd and the car so just stops. Yeah. Or B Dolan. 
<laughs> it was just it was B Dolan's dad driving the taxi. Uh, speaking of B Dolan, how was Edinburgh and, and the Fringe? Because I mean, like that's I've talked to a lot of different people who played there in different guises and different things, and it's kind of the WrestleMania of spoken word and stand up and performance art. And a lot of people kind of gear their entire year to get to that show and do the you know the absolute best they can do because it's a very competitive environment and yeah. all that kind of stuff. How did you find it? I mean, like, well, I went into it with a, a fair understanding that that's how it would be, but I didn't want to give it too much thought. I, I didn't want to get anxious about all the things we would need to do in order to have a crowd every day. And, and like, I just, I want to, I'm confident enough in what I do and, and, and what B does that when we come together, we can put on a, a, a entertaining show for any type of audience. Um, and then when we got there and we saw it was in a tent, it was like all, and I knew not to try to try to think ahead of time of what things would be like, but it totally was not what I was expecting. And that threw me off right away, but we played 20 shows there and it was early in the day, which is also a tougher time slot or like, I think we got on at one twenty or one forty, uh, one forty every day for an hour. And, um, at first we were kind of scared that we wouldn't be able to maintain enough of a crowd to constitute a show. Like mm. who, how are we going to continue to get people at to the same venue every day? Um, and it turned out we got a good amount of reviews, word spread. Um, we were doing a very unique show. It's not just spoken word. It's not just hip hop. It was it was comedy. It was storytelling. Uh, we just didn't know how to package it with a name that had that punch. Like it was B Dolan, it was Sage Francis and B Dolan in a long title. It was like we didn't have a theme really. It just was life material being presented in all different formats. And that is not the best way to go about a fringe show, which I know now, even though it was great, we had several sellout uh, days. I think if we went back, we'd we'd now understand the game a bit more where we could actually uh, work it in a, in a manner that is very successful for like the organizers and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And they were excited. They wanted They were like, next time you guys come back, we got to get you in a night slot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, the venue was cool though. I wouldn't even mind returning to it. This big old tent. It was like this cultish circus <laughs> environment. Yeah, I always been interested like for a performer in that environment because I saw Bill Burr at the Vodafone Comedy Festival this summer and it was the same thing. He came out and he was like, What the fuck is this? Yeah. But like he adapted to it, no problem. Yeah. But I mean I guess maybe he was thrown and you wouldn't expect if you're in the audience, you wouldn't expect the person on stage to be thrown. But um I mean it must be really bizarre if you're like it is it's foreign it's foreign we stepped in as like a seated environment Mm. that right off the bat throws us off like okay so people are just going to be sit down with this reserved energy and maybe that lowers our tone and gives us more of a lecture persona you know but we we raised the roof man like even this little tiny stage we're two large gentlemen you know so I think that in itself was a spectacle just to see us wiling out on this like tiny stage in this awkward environment. That works to our advantage in, in the in the end, I believe. It was fun. And what kind of like energy do you get from B and like playing off somebody else? Because I mean, obviously, for so many years as a solo to kind of have a partner who you seem to vibe really, really well with. But is that is it difficult to kind of find that cadence and chemistry? We play off each other real well, but there is there are certain points where I feel like we we could work on it better. Um, cause he's also very solo minded in how he writes and performs and for us to have the, the 
classic back and forths. Sometimes it, it took a little like figuring out who's going to play the good cop or bad cop, mm-hmm. you know. And it ended up I was I, I'm the I'm the best cop. <laughs> no, we have that as well. Yeah, we do. Because <laughs> every time I would good cop him, he'd like give me the eye, like, "Oh, you're the good cop now." Okay, but we're we're brothers, so it's, we have that kind of brother brotherly rivalry. And is there that kind of energy, that kind of like, is is it that thoughtful on stage? Like, do, do, is it actually like, "Oh, I see what you're doing. I'm going to try and one up you now." Yeah, or you're playing we games. we went into it knowing that we were because right. we have a competitive nature, and okay. we were like. You know, we know that each other's really going to try to outdo the other in one way or another. Right. Um, he happens to be a better storyteller than I am. Not not storyteller, but um, like when he writes outside of a song format, if he'll write a, a, a piece, a, a spoken word piece, I feel like he's just such an incredible writer. I work really well within a structure of rhyme pattern and like that's where I feel like I truly shine. Right. But he, he is able to write scripts and short stories and and and, and in magnificent ways and and it he ended up winning the best poem of fringe actually yeah um well deserved (laughs) he's like he his the the material that he was performing he hasn't done in ages and he actually didn't want to do it he didn't want to do the live evil um sky cycle blues the evil knievel piece I was because like, I remember when he used to do that, and I, it just kills the crowd. It, it's just so magnificent. I was like, "You got to do that, man!" Yeah. And he wanted to do the Bombzo, the clown, very aggro, political, offensive material. So we have, we have. <laughs> he didn't end up doing it because it takes a lot of paint and he ruins everything with it. But um, uh, we were offensive. We were properly offensive. <laughs> we had some couples leave throughout our, our stay there, but overall. People stuck around and shook hands, gave hugs, bought merchandise. They were excited to learn that hip hop could be done in a variety of ways. You know, it wasn't what they had imagined would be a rap show, but there it was. Have you ever had a particular, you know, vociferous heckler or someone who took major offense kind of stop the show and challenge you? Or yeah, oh, that's happened. I mean, I've played thousands of shows. Mm-hmm. It's definitely happened. It, not not so much recently. Um, I, I thwart that pretty well. And I think there's a manic energy on stage and also a crazy look in my eyes where, <laughs> you know, you have to be really drunk to try to to interrupt or, or insert yourself in a show. And I don't mind bringing people on stage and letting them say what they want. Let them bury themselves, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's always fun. That was, I was just I was telling <laughs> you, you during the dread, the, we, I was, during Fringe, we, oh, yeah. we were part of a um, comedy event that we weren't doing comedy, but they wanted us to go on last just to, to cap the night off. And uh, Jane Godley, who's recently became famous with her Trump is a cunt sign when he landed in the Scottish Gulf course area. Yeah, that was awesome. She, there was a, an American woman in the front row who was talking through everybody's set. And when Jane Godley got on stage, she ripped into this woman so fucking hard. And the woman cried. She cried she left, then came back and openly sobbed through the whole show from the front row. By the time I was on stage, she was still sobbing, and I just was like, uh, "Well, you shouldn't talk through people's set, and you're you're embarrassing me because you're American." But I don't know. That sounds so grim. Yeah. yeah, that sounds so hard to get up in front of. She well, she was she was very drunk, so 
that is always almost always the problem when people don't know what's appropriate or what's appropriate or what is it you know in that kind of environment her boyfriend her boyfriend was like consoling her and then ultimately very embarrassed and just had to sit there and deal with like i'm sure he received a lot of shit yeah, that guy can't win. I mean, again, <laughs> yeah. at Bill Burr, there was a similar moment where he started, he brought up like feminism and it was like, it was so obvious what he was doing and you're just like, I hope no one rises to this. He's like, he's like you, guys got, you guys got feminism over here and there was like a little kind of nervous energy in the crowd and eventually a lady kind of started going at him and he just, he just destroyed her and at one point I was kind of thinking, I was like, I wonder who she's here with and maybe it's, and then Bill Burr goes, Hey, who's that guy next to you? He goes, is that your boyfriend? And he goes, oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> you yeah. poor bastard. And I was like, oh, this is just so... But the audience, I mean, you mentioned like a manic energy. In the audience that we were in, like people did not want this woman to defeat Bill Burr. They were on the side of the comedian. Mm. They were on the side of the person on stage. And I guess that might be, you know, the, the kind of the 12th man. I mean, you, your audience is generally there for you. But I guess in a festival environment, it's kind of a bit of a free-for-all, isn't it? Yeah, there was no there was no heckling at at the, at the fringe. There was okay. no there was no interrupting. There was there was laughs. So we 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 make friends with the crowd mm. for the most part. I mean, we will offend with religious material sometimes, um, or language, or you know, sexually explicit language. Mm-hmm. That is part of my my music in particular. But B also has like the dildo cru- crucifix poem (laughs) (laughs) it also didn't help that we were following a kiddie show like for kids like clowns and like man and our our poster was us in like cartoon faces and it looked like maybe we were a kid show so sometimes there were kids in the crowd and we just were like oh gosh i hope this doesn't continue to be a problem the uh, first unusual death that i saw on the wikipedia list today was about a clown really yeah well, about a clam? May I, may, clown. About a clown. Oh. May I read it? It's very short. Okay. <laughs> uh, in 1854, William Snyder, a 13-year-old, died when a circus clown swung him around by his heels. That's all it says. It doesn't give any further information. Wow. It just raises all sorts of questions. It sounds like he came apart to the heels. It sounds terrifying. Mm. Was it Achilles? Achilles the <laughs> yeah, clown? Was, yeah. Achilles the clown! <laughs> killing kids! What a way to go, like, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, that's a. Have, you, have either of you ever read that list? No, I didn't know about that list. It's 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 unbelievable. Like, really? Oh my god! Right. Some of them, like a cow fell into a guy's house on top of the guy, and the cow and his wife sleeping next to him were unharmed. <laughs> that's how he went. What, what there was a cow on the roof? A cow was on an adjacent hillside and fell through the roof of his house, wow. killing a man. Like I don't want to end up on that list. <laughs> like whatever I do in life, I just don't want to be on that list. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You you can stay home and get killed, or you can you know. Go to Pakistan and try your luck. Yeah. Um, or have a clown swing around by, by the heels. Yeah. <laughs> You're not safe anywhere. <clears throat> not safe. My mom gets nervous when I, you know, I travel a lot. And sometimes I go to areas that, you know, maybe there was a terrorist attack recently or something. I'm just like, there's no way you can avoid it. I mean, if I stay home, I, I, I almost feel like I'm, I'm in as much danger, if not more. <laughs> <laughs> like America is not a safe zone. Truly. Yeah, well, I was going to ask actually, like, kind of scariest place you've ever played, or even like, who? Well, there's definitely places I've played that. Um, well, recently, I would say South Africa. There's I played a place in. Um, well, I played three shows there: one in Durban, one in Johannesburg, one in Cape Town. And the Johannesburg show that I played, it was. I like to walk around like I, I just get nervous energy. I want to walk around the towns that I'm in or the cities. And 
South Africa is interesting in a way where everything, it really feels post-apocalyptic because there's um, barbed wire and private security for every single building, every single house. And the police station is even covered and protected by a private security firm. And I walked those streets late at night, uh, and I probably shouldn't have been where I was, but that I, I don't often feel unsafe, but there were segments of that, you know, those streets where I was like, this is a bad idea that I'm here right now. I should probably go back, <laughs> but inside of the venue, not, not so much. I know I've, I've, uh, I'd have to think further back than my memory will go, I think. And is the stage generally a comfort zone for you? I mean, at this point in your career, you'd hope it would be. Definitely. It's definitely a home away from home. Mm-hmm. It's 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 more home. I feel very comfortable and stress-free, and this is what I work toward, and I know, I, I just know the stage. It's, it's my environment, and I like to create my own world, allow other people to enjoy it or not if they want. It's just kind of, you're my guest at that point point you know you're witnessing what is comfortable for me i hope you like it so far so good (laughs) it's like it's working are you more comfortable on the stage or in the recording booth uh on stage i'm more comfortable on stage in the recording booth i wouldn't say i'm uncomfortable i just that uh stress levels do go up and i'm trying to document something for posterity Mm. and I know how it's I know how it's supposed to sound because I hear it in my head and I I do my best to achieve it. Mm. But on stage, it's what's in the moment, and I don't have to really like worry about anything else. But yeah, the studio, I tend to, I hold off. I like I will wait a year or two before I even step in, and when I do, I want to bang out as much as possible because once I I get into that mind frame and into that, uh, the process of doing it. Once I get there, I don't want to leave it. Like then, I will become comfortable once I I get the 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 gears turning and all that. But I I tend to I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I I will do a hundred to two hundred takes of wow. the same verse until it's like yeah, that's how it's supposed to sound. That's exactly how it's supposed to sound. So it's kind of like how David Fincher directs his movies and his actors. Like he's notorious for like Kubrick as well, notorious for doing like you know literally hundreds of takes. Yeah, because you you become obsessed with the nuance mm-hmm. and the fine details that sometimes separate you from everyone else, where they're not able to pick out why is Kubrick's shot so fucking good? Like why is it framed so perfectly? Why is this an enjoyable viewing experience for me when? This other guy is really not so much. Why do I continue to go back and watch his movies? Mm-hmm. I try to do that with my music. I, I think anyone who cares about their craft like understands the finer details that most people couldn't recognize or pinpoint, but somewhere mm. in their brain, it recognizes it and, and is drawn to it. Yeah, you got to work your ass off to get there. I mean, do you listen much back then or when it's done, is it done? Because I mean, like, would you be the kind of person who'd be like, oh, fuck, I should have said that. I should have said that word or I shouldn't have said that one. Not really, except for the songs that I I, I create on the fly. Um, Best of Times was one of the songs I created on the fly, and so was Make Em Purr. Hmm. And those songs were last-minute entries onto an album that I had already considered f- finished. Um, happy accidents both times, where the music just came in last minute, and I was able to sneak it on the album. But when when I record the other songs, it's... 
I take so long to record my material and write it that I it's exactly how I need it to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't ever second guess it once it's done. Usually, usually. But with Make 'Em Purr, which people love, it was a fit. Like yeah. I think the most popular song on my last record, and the the video is just heartbreaking. But yeah. I wrote that in a night, recorded it the next day. And there are moments on that song where I know if I had spent two, three, four more weeks playing with the song, it probably would have ended up totally different. And maybe I would have ruined the soul of the song by doing that. But I repeat a word in that song and it, it like it annoys the shit out of me because really? I wrote it freestyle. Basically, I really was just following like a certain thought pattern as it came out. The rhymes are easy enough at this point. It wasn't like I had to obsess over what what are the cool words to put together it just was like it naturally flows um but this vocabulary choice that uh, annoys me when i i realize i should have said this word instead of that it would have just had a little bit more impact than it right. does um off mic i was kind of having a bit of a fanboy moment about best of times like and i mean i think that's a beautiful beautiful song i think it's very relatable and i, I think there's a lot of catharsis in there at least like that's what i take from it myself but i'm curious i mean like the guy who wrote that versus the guy sitting opposite me right now like i mean are they two different people? Like, is that a, is that a kind of a constant headspace for you? Like, um, I I don't know. I think they're the same person. They just they're talking to you in different mediums. <laughs> we have the same history. I know that for sure. <laughs> I mean, the best of times was my story. Um, exactly everything that I had experienced. Um, just minor truths of my life that I think all culminate into a big moment of understanding. Like all these things. I obsessed over and hated myself over and was scared about it didn't matter in the end like you you learn to to trudge forward and you encounter other obstacles and then you overcome those it's just things are not as big as they feel to you especially at a young age when you're under the the thumb of society and parents and school those little things can just feel so huge to a kid that's why I'm it's like when they tell you these are your best years, it's such a common thing. Like you, mm-hmm. like you tell kids, "Oh, you're so lucky. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna miss this." Like, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. This was this was not fun. That was, this was not. I do miss recess, but not everything else. Uh, yeah. We actually talk about in that song. Actually, Dave's gonna give out to me for this. I always bring religious things into these. Uh, <laughs> Away, I don't mind. Someday. It's Sunday after all. Um, I, I can't remember the lines actually, but you say something about you, you realize you weren't talking to someone in the sky or something like that. Um, what was the what was that moment for you? Is it a, is it a clear memory? Like at one point it was a switch or? No, that's a, that is a long story. But uh, what I'm referencing in that song is an actual moment. It's not when I realized that. Oh, okay. But I think there was an overall arc of understanding that. In that moment where I was speaking to, um, well, it was, it was at a funeral, you know, so I'm, I'm speaking to family and friends and to console them. And that's what those situations are typically all about. That's what funerals are all about. It's just, it's not really for the person. It's for the people who are grieving, mm-hmm. you know, and I just acknowledge that. And that's just something I realized he's not hearing what I'm saying right now. That's my belief. Um, and if he, he's not in heaven, if there is a heaven in hell, I don't believe he passed the test. <laughs> but his mother wouldn't be experiencing heaven without him. So how does that work? Right. 
On the, on the idea of kind of, of words and kind of who interprets them, I mean, what's your take on Bob Dylan being awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature and the fallout from that, actually, which has been quite interesting to see? Yeah, I think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, and, and I also, I, was just, was, I just received an honor of patronage for my contributions to literature from the Trinity College. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thanks. So <laughs> it just kind of was like, I, I get this, it's obviously not on the scale of Nobel Prize, but uh, you know. there's a similarity there where I have never written a book. Mm-hmm. He has. I read it. He wrote, he wrote Chronicles. He may have written other stuff, but I've read his, his material, and I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. His writing, um, some people say they understand it. Some people really do. Some don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally am inspired by it, and I think he's incredible. I think he inspired countless musicians and mo- a lot of whom we hold up in the highest regard and they they took a lot from what he put out there um i like the fact that he's in a position where he can kind of act like it's not a big deal and maybe maybe he's not he's truly not thrilled by it maybe well he's not taking their calls yeah. <laughs> well yeah well, they're not happy with that <laughs> maybe maybe he's doing that because he doesn't want to give credence to what it means to win a, a nobel prize mm-hmm Maybe Obama winning the Nobel Peace Prize before bombing a bunch of countries weighs on his conscience. Mm. Maybe. Wait, did Obama win that? Yeah. Oh fuck off! Really? He won it like the year he yeah. elected. Yeah. Ah, that's questionable. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. That I mean, I, maybe he's bringing light to this. Mm. Maybe, maybe he ignored it just so he could give me the platform to tell you this. Very He's good. very smart, Bob Dylan. He, <laughs> he works in mysterious he ways. Either we're going to be having this exact yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's I a love, smart one. I love their reaction to like they're so pissed off. They're calling him impolite and arrogant, and it's like it, it is impolite. I yeah, mean, yeah, really, it it, 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 answer the phone, Bob. Like, yeah. They might have the wrong number. He's yeah, also God, he's been given so many awards. He's like at this point. Honestly, he's probably like, who gives a shit? Really? Yeah. I'm like, I'm so old. I've done so much. You want me to get up and fucking do a jig for you because you're going <laughs> to like honor me? You're yeah. going to honor me? <laughs> yeah, the Nobel laureates can get the Bob Dylan Prize. <laughs> yeah. I also yeah. like how writers are whining that, yeah, ah, I should go to someone who writes books. Ah, it's not mm. literature if it's lyrics. Like, fuck you two. Yeah. Fuck, fuck all you guys. Oh, fuck the people who say that it should go to someone who most people don't know about just to make them aware of diff- someone. Everyone knows Bob Dylan. Give it to someone who they don't know. Like, no, that's not how awards work. If they, if they decided that he, he, he gets the award, that's it. Don't give a fucking participation prize to someone just because they don't know. <laughs> people don't know their material. Mm. I spoke to Greg from the Dillinger Escape Plan, and he was saying, yeah, look, I get it. He was like, you know, I understand where the purists are coming from. And, you know, but ultimately, you know, it's fucking Bob Dylan. But he also was kind of saying, he goes, well, then again, are we going to give Cormac McCarthy an award for music? You know, and I was like, well, you could. He's very lyrical. You know? But is he making music? No. That's what I'm saying. Ly- lyrics are writing. Yeah. I've also heard that argument, but I'm like, like a, a, a writer's like, am I going to win a Grammy? Like, no, <laughs> motherfucker, because you don't make music. You don't make music. Music music incorporates literature when, you know, if you're a lyricist. Like, no one's, no, Bob Dylan isn't held, like, to the highest honor because he's a great singer. Yeah. We all agree with that. Mm. And in fact, I think he is a great singer, but that's a whole other story. But then that point kind of brings up another thing then, I suppose, if you want to follow that. Uh, lyrics are literature. So could a screenwriter win the Nobel Prize for Literature? Yeah, I think he should. I think so. What about a really, good, a really yeah. good copywriter? 
if it's writing for like an ad well a lot of ads like a lifetime achievement award uh, of really good copywriting getting into weird grey areas Alan, yeah sure. but it's, it's copywriting an, though is, is just so dry and awful yeah yeah, so, yeah. I say that as someone who, who does it so. yeah. <laughs> I do too sitting over here guys it's the worst yeah. part of my life it sucks yeah, when, yeah. We have, when I run a record label so yeah. we do a lot of that when releasing albums or projects or video like you just putting together press statements and just like this is awful. Yeah. This is killing me writing this right now. I hate writing synopsis. Press releases uh, are no fun. And I still need that press release though. I have to do a press release. For, I've, I've been sleeping on a press release round for about two months now. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, yeah. So how do you find that sort of thing is the kind of the, the running a business aspect of it all? Uh, I find it necessary. Um, I've, I've been running the record label. I, well, I started putting out my own music in 1996 when there was no label. And I just was, recording on tape handing them out at hardcore punk shows and then uh then i had a band and we recorded more tapes and sold them at our shows and then the internet became a thing and i was able to work out transactions with fans where if they sent me cash in the mail i would mail them material it was that easy it was like literally i would i would say print out this list of items mark off what you want include the cash I'll mail it to you. So then I established this web store, really bunk web store, uh, that turned into a real web store. But I also, distributors uh, were familiar with my name. Uh, Stores wanted my product, even though I didn't have a real album. Mm. I had mixtapes, which was not what people call mixtapes now. Now a mixtape is just an unofficial album, Mm. usually recorded really well. But my mixtapes were literally a mix of uh, live recordings, freestyles, some studio recordings, but all coming from different sources and quality. Sound quality was of the lowest importance at that time. It just was the messages and the lyrics, and that's that's what drove those sales. So I worked with these distributors, uh, built relationships with them. Then I, I just f- continued to learn more of how a label works, the infrastructure of a label, how to release material. So when I figured that out for myself... I was like, well, I already did all the legwork. I should put out your album. I like it. Let's do this. You know, so then I picked up other artists. And it just became bigger and bigger. We then we got a staff and an office and and I mean that's grassroots on up. That was just kind of how it was built and I I did regret it after a while because music wasn't selling like it was uh, I think 2005 was the last year where it was just a golden period of CD sales. Mm-hmm. Um, vinyl wasn't really doing all that great then, but CD sales, they were great right up until 2005. And then increasingly less so from there on. So every year the industry would present a new obstacle that would potentially sink an indie label if they didn't have um, certain safety nets set in place. And we we struggled really hard for a few years. And I, I I remember when some labels shut down, I would look at them with envy. I'm like, you motherfuckers, <laughs> you fucking left. It could have been me. <laughs> no, nah, but I also, I, I have too much pride in this. It's my baby. You yeah, know? of course. Yeah. It's what I built outside of my career, obviously. But this was something that I had dedicated myself to. And I, I had put in so much time to build up. Um, the audience and the fan base and build that relationship and the brand and the strange famous thing. I was like, I can't give this up. I like, I have to figure out other ways. And we still are, we're still figuring out ways people are buying. They're not even making cars with CD players anymore. So it's like, 
CD sales have come to a trickle. Vinyl sales have picked up, but they're very, it's very expensive to make vinyl. And it's very expensive to ship. Right. And when you speak internationally, it's almost impossible. It's just like the price to ship a, a piece of vinyl is about, I mean, it's about $30. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's like it costs more than what the vinyl costs. So people are reluctant to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the money we make goes to the post office. A lot of the money we make goes to the manufacturer. So we're like, come to the understanding streaming is the future of music unfortunately and I'm, I'm not fighting it i'm just uh, you know i'm not saying that's great i'm just acknowledging the truth of the matter people d- don't even want to download they don't want to take up data on their phone or on their computer to download material if it's a, if it's a la- if it's um, available on a streaming service they're just going to stream it mm-hmm. yeah so we have to think of product to sell that now we're in a place where we become a t-shirt company we become a hoodie company mm. or a novelty shop where you will we'll buy coffee mugs or whatever we can f- sell that is related to the music and maybe attach a download code to it yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and we're making it work uh, with a lot of trial and error and right. with with a loyal fan base that continues to come back and you know many thanks to them that we're still actually putting out material and we've just picked up a bunch of new artists we was we set off on a a digital sub label where it's just some some material we're just going to do digitally and we'll press up limited edition seven inches for for the physical aspect of it but we're not distributing it to stores we're not going to pay a bunch of middlemen in order to make that viable what's that called the sub label uh, SF Digi, okay. a strange, famous digital, okay. and it's all under the same umbrella. And it's yeah. a lot of the artists that we've we've always worked with. But now, if an artist can't tour, that's usually how you sell physical mm. product now. Yeah, because the indie stores have shut down. And I don't know what's your big music store here. Ours it's is Best Buy, gone, but yeah. we still have Tower Records. Oh yeah, you have Tower. Tower? There's two Tower Records. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Holy. The fucking it's part of my language. No, no, please. The, all right, the one, <laughs> the last one. one that shut down in New York. The guy who worked there actually sent me my placard, the separator. Oh, from the with Sage Francis. Oh, that's cool. that's yeah, nice. yeah, deadly. Because Tower was the shit. Yeah, I really liked Tower. I fucking love Tower. Like, yeah. Vir- we had Virgin, and that's gone. HMV is gone. And Bateria, there's still two Tower. Inexplicably, there's two Tower. Golden Discs is still around, but Golden it's, kind of, it's kind of a DVDs yeah, and that kind of thing. Yeah. You mentioned kind of phones there, and like obviously, you know, people evolving, and, you know, phones at, at concerts and gigs can be particularly irritating for, I think, both artists and also attendee. But by and large, have the shows kind of stayed the same? I mean, like over the last 20 years, is that still like the one thing that doesn't change too much or has it changed a lot? It has changed a lot. It has, it has changed a lot uh, for several reasons. One, there is a billion more artists now because it's a uh, hundred times easier to record and release material. Sure. Not that they're, not that, that, that it's selling or anything, but the, the market is flooded. And we used to, when doing a huge tour and when you're working with um, big, uh, what do you call them? Booking agents who are have to lock down the best venues. It used to be four months ahead of time. You had to at least set out to do that four months ahead of time. Now it's at least six or seven months ahead of time because all these venues are booked up mm-hmm. so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also discovered in a in a. I also discovered that. Well, our main connection to the fans is social media. It drives me crazy, but it is. I have to be active on Twitter. I have to be active on Facebook. I have to be active on Instagram. And when it used to be MySpace, and that was the main, that was the town center of the internet, it was easy fucking breezy. That was like, 
you post an update, people would know you had an album out. People would know where you're playing. Mm. Um, there weren't all there wasn't these algorithms that Facebook uses to to yeah. like keep you suppressed. So you have to pay them money in order to reach your fans. I loved MySpace. It's like, and then once people started to migrate from MySpace to Facebook, I was very reluctant to make that change. I was like, no way. I've put so much work into this building this account and and these connections that I you know I manually added every fucking fan. It was like crazy. Is like dumb technology, but it worked <laughs> for us. Well, I waited too long and. Everyone moved over to Facebook. I'm still dealing with the you know remaining few who are on MySpace. Suddenly, hardly anyone was coming to shows. Suddenly, album sales are way down. And so I said, okay, fine. Let's go do this Facebook thing. Let's start all over again. And it was a lot of work. It actually was a lot of work to build up that the following on Facebook the, to, to resemble what it once was on MySpace. But once I did... A year and a half later, lo and behold, people are coming out to shows again. Mm. Album sales are up. <laughs> so that is a difference. That's just like to 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 realize that you have to stay on top of the ebb and flow of where people are receiving information online in order to find out about you. Because if you're an indie artist, um, you that is your lifeline. That social media, you're not getting covered by major media. You, you know, like Pitchfork is not covering your tour dates. Mm. Um, and, and the shows are, are more flooded in lo- all local markets. Yeah. I mean, also one more thing yeah. There's pay to play. I don't know if it's the same in punk rock, but in hip hop, the promoters have decided, okay, I'm going to book all the, I'm going to get all the openers and have them pay money in order to, to play on oh, the show. Wow. So they'll book, they'll overbook that beginning part of the show or like right. four or five, six local rappers who pretty much suck <laughs> and kill the energy of the room, but they paid money to, in order to, you know, yeah, pay the promoter special. and maybe accommodate your fee. Never heard of this. Yeah. It's very popular. It's been very popular in the U S mm. and I, yeah, I'm not sure if they do it uh, out here or I'm in the UK. Sure. But. There are hardcore shows that could be stacked, but I don't know if it's that. I think it's more a case of like, there's a fraternity there. But yeah, that's it's always been like that. So that's a red right? flag if you see like seven acts in a bill. <laughs> yeah, something's up. Yeah, okay. if it looks like a festival, but it's not a festival, <laughs> and you've never heard any of the doors names. open at three p.m. Yeah, and sometimes they they make it so that the headliner act can't even get on because they all go over time, you know, Gosh. so that the headliner gets on and got a half hour left to perform before the doors shut. I don't allow it. Jesus. The only time I've allowed it was when I toured Canada, and I kind of threw caution to the wind because I did I didn't really have as strong of a foothold in those those markets that I do in other like in the UK or in the US. Mm. Um, I and the promoter guaranteed me, oh no, it'll be fine. This is, everything will be you know. So that's the only time I did do you, that. Uh, you mentioned like algorithms there and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm curious. You did mention that you downvoted a Bruno Mars song four times <laughs> before YouTube actually recognized this. this. Trickery. This is that an arch pop conspiracy? Do you think? I think there's internet trickery that. It's not maybe they 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 maybe they experiment with something. It's not something that you could go back and do again. You couldn't replicate it. But I literally, I went listen to the song. I don't know why. I think it's just I just kept getting an update about it. So I go to the Bruno Mars song on YouTube. Decide I I don't like this. I don't want anything like this. Click down. 
Nothing happened. Click thumbs down. Nothing happens. Click thumbs down. And then like on the fourth time, I just was like, I know I'm clicking it. It has to work. Finally, the fourth time it worked. The fourth time was a charm. And poor Bruno sitting somewhere going, four down likes by one person. <laughs> no, no, it didn't register as four. That, YouTube used to be fun like that. I used to go on people's pages I hated and fucking click ten times down. <laughs> That was fun. And I would also go on the positive comments of their video and down click all of their <laughs> and it would count. Like you could have like I think it was five or ten, but it would show how many down Have you legitimately you sabotaged anyone's career this week? <laughs> you probably have. I have. Yeah. Yes. Um <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not proud to say it, but I uh, I hold a grudge. <laughs> um the 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 running a business thing was something I wanted to talk to you about as well because um it's something that I did kind of not on the same kind of level but I'm just a writer who started a website about writing to you know give a, to build a new platform and to give more opportunities and things like that um, but how do you find kind of separating the time between creating doing your own writing recording producing to just running the business I I wish I spent more time on the creative stuff I really do I, I found myself more obligated to pay greater attention to the business side of things. That's what eats up most of my time, most of my mental energy. On the flip side, <clears throat> I think it's good to give the creative side of my brain that total break until it's until I designate a time where I'm like, now right. I can put all that business stuff to the side and just dedicate everything totally to this. So everything I built up inside of myself then can come out. Right. I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but that's how it works for me. I like, the, I do like the balance of it. I just wish it. I wish I could shave off a lot more of the business side of things. And if I could hire a larger, bigger staff or people that I could trust, I'd be able to do that. Yeah. In fact, I could do it now. I just would maybe lose money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if I really wanted to invest in myself, maybe that's what I should do and just hire a few more people mm. and and say am i able to constitute having a staff like this or justify it by is what i create going to bring in enough profit to pay everybody and and still keep the ship floating and how much time and resources do you put into finding new artists um they or do they find you they do right. a lot of the time for for the new artists a lot of the new artists we worked with i i typically know them somehow or have worked with them on some level mm. And a few of the new artists, uh, Wheelchair Sports Camp from Denver, I've played several shows with. Their shows are incredible. Kaylin is like, she's a very tiny person in a wheelchair, and she raps like a motherfucker. Like, <laughs> so good. It's like when you see it, you're like, wow, this is crazy. This is so good. Um, but yeah, I, this guy Dope Knife from Savannah, Georgia, he opened for me in Atlanta, blew me away. He actually probably upstaged me. Sold more merchandise than me, and then I, I just was, I and I spoke with him after the show. I wasn't really trying to like sign him because in that time I wasn't really sure what we wanted to do with the label. But then when we figured out the SF Digi stuff, I presented it to him because he was a, the the person I had in mind really for this kind of uh, project or label. Um, but other people, if they send me material that hits me in a very special way, and they don't come across as a problem. That's the thing. If someone is incredible as an artist, but I can sense they're a problem and they're going to cause 
problems. <laughs> I can't deal with like unnecessary drama. You're going to Dan vote the fuck out of their YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I, not them. Not, I would never do that to them. It's, it's, if people who have like actually done me wrong, I, I, I can't. I'm past that. We're talking 10 years ago now. <laughs> now everyone's going to go to my videos and be like, well, fuck you then. Downvote. <laughs> that was another thing as well. Just you, you do obviously work with a lot of very talented people. Have you ever just been in a room with someone and, and been kind of stunned by their talent or just in awe of somebody, somebody's skill level? Or um, Yeah, there's been instances like that. I, I mean, idea to be around him when he freestyles I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Idea, but he was part sure. of Rhyme Sayers. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately, uh, in 2010. But he won all the biggest freestyle battles, and he was a great songwriter, very young, and he was just he was just was a savant. He, and when it came to freestyle, he just like no one could touch the cat. It was so to watch him be in that process of this improv. Boom, boom, boom! This is all coming out out of me at a rapid pace, and you are ha- not only having a tough time keeping up with him, but the fact that he's saying it off the top of his head, not pre-written. Wow. Right. Um, I mean, I freestyle. People think I freestyle really well, but like I know there's a level of difference between how I do it and how he did it. Right. Uh, so um, again, with B. Dolan, and sometimes there's things that he writes right. I just kind of. I'm jealous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a good kind of jealous, but um, and there's artists who I work with who are not only good with lyrics, but they make the music too. Okay. I mean, I dabble in that, but they, if they just do the whole package, and that that always impresses the hell out of me. It's like that is to me the. the I mean, that's truly being an independent artist, really right. like being able to make it, being DIY 100. percent uh, prolific who has a, a new album coming out next month he just he produced his whole album himself dope knife also produced his whole album himself the first guy i worked with who was like that was buck 65 yeah so good and when i i guess when i met him and to see how he operates um and what kind of person he is and that well that was in 99 when i first met him and we worked on a, a project together and then we toured several times after that but he is um He's an artist, artist, I would say. Right. And very, very prolific, uh, very risk taking as far as the kind of music that he makes and how he presents himself. And now it's gotten to a point where he says he's quit and he's had enough and he's like 43 now, maybe 44. But I know that his dedication and love of hip hop all these years and what he's contributed to it, he was literally, I would say he's literally the last artist who inspired me to make a change in how I approach music just because he was making songs without choruses. The mere fact that you could do that, like, you know, like you realize, Oh my God, why do I feel like I have to have <laughs> verse, chorus, verse, chorus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be just a verse. You say what, what needs to be said. The beat fades out. That's it. <laughs> it was blowing my mind. As simple as that is, it just was like, never heard it before. Not done like that. Not in a mixtape format. And um, it's kind of what Run the Jewels are doing to a degree. I mean, they do have choruses, but it's also a lot of the songs just kind of stop. And it's like, cool. You know? Yeah. That's I'm not. Yeah. Also, well, Paul's Boutique was similar in a way where the Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique was, was songs would blend into one another. And I wasn't sure when one song ended and another began. To, mm. I always, I aspire toward that 
album format. It's not wise to do that in 2016, especially playlist culture. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a singles like market, and so it sounds like if you if you just sell if you just stream one song that isn't connected to the full album, it probably won't even make sense mm-hmm. <laughs> out of context. It doesn't sound like you have a lot of downtime, but in your downtime, do you pay attention to more high-profile stuff? Like, is there anything, like, it's been a huge year for music in that regard, like, in terms of big names and kind of heavyweight releases. So, has that kind of stuck out for you, positive or negative, or? No, I have not followed any of that. Mm. In fact, I know LP and Killer Mike, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say I haven't really followed what, I know they they blew up really big yeah, and like yeah. I'm proud of that but I haven't followed each step that they've taken even the new I know they have a new album about to come out or, mode, yeah. yeah hopefully <laughs> so because I do get the Twitter updates and stuff but I, I don't I try not to follow too much music stuff it's mm. I don't know why. It's There's just, just so much of it, though. Like it's genuinely overwhelming. Yeah, and I feel like it's a great complaint, but it's also you're, so at times you're like, Jesus Christ, you're like another album by this person. I like, come on. True. <laughs> I mean, and people complain that it takes us a long time to put out material, but I'm not in the I'm not in the business of flooding the market more than it needs to be. When <laughs> when I have something I'm proud of and I know its place, and I know that it's the best that I could do. That's when it goes out there. There's no there's no other um, way I go about things. So yeah, with with big, bigger artists, I in fact, <laughs> I the only Drake I know a couple songs of Drake's uh, at this point he's, and I really don't even know Kanye West's material, but Drake had a couple songs that caught my ear, so mm. like I could identify a Drake song. Drake, but I, Drake is the most streamed artist in Spotify history as of last week. Wow, eight hundred eighty million plays for that song "One Dance," which isn't that good of a song. I don't, I don't even know that song. I don't know that song either. <laughs> oh, do I? You know okay. it. Yeah, you do. So I, I listen to sports talk radio um, throughout the day as I work online and anything that doesn't upset me. Have you ever called in to a sports talk radio show? I'm too shy to call really? in. Really? Yeah, I am. You're shy. a fucking boy artist. This, mm-hmm. this is literally your it's job. Different. <laughs> it's different. I'm too shy. I, I would clam up. I, I was speaking about this the other day because people are... they. I'm not good on the phone regardless. I like I hate just standing sitting there with <laughs> like the voice in one ear. It drives me crazy. Yeah, it's horrible. It drives me crazy and I can't have any noises so I have to like block my other ear and um I feel like I would I would just I, I when I was a kid I used to try to call in to talk radio, not sports radio, but there was like a wrestling show and it was just I was so bored. There was no internet. You know, when I was a kid, but I could get the radio and then adults would be talking about adult things. And then I would call in because, like, I want to be part of a conversation. Mm-hmm. I have I actually recorded one of these things. Uh, I can remember. Do you have weekly world news? Uh, I, I, I don't think we have it anymore, but it's definitely on some new stand in Dublin somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a um, black and white kind of. Yeah. Like, it's a tabloid. Yeah. It talks about aliens Hulk Hogan and, gave birth to an alien last week yeah that kind of thing yeah so when I was a kid as, as far as I was concerned if it was looked like a newspaper it was in black and white it was true <laughs> I was like this is the most amazing publication ever how come everyone's not reading this <laughs> and I would call in these like serious political talk shows and start trying to talk about Batboy and you know stuff that was in this thing I was like have you heard about this why are you doing anything about this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're a politician but then he, he'd ask me a follow up question and I get like I tighten up and just hang up the phone <laughs> Jesus. well who knew that like a, a prolific career in, in in the art of the spoken word awaited you yeah yeah i 
it's different though. I, I am painfully shy, honestly. Um, and normal social situations, I don't talk. I try, I actually, I stay away from them. <laughs> like people kept asking me, like, are you going to come out to this show? Are you going to go check? The-? I was, like I'm staying in my hotel room. Like it's, I feel comfortable there. And I, I don't know, it's, unless I have a purpose and this is a purpose. Like I know we wanted to talk about things and mm. it's a controlled environment. And I feel comfortable here. Yeah. Wait to see all the guys we have coming in yeah. after we got Bruno <laughs> Mars. He's not happy. I've um, dealt with things like that. I had a radio show where oh. several times my radio station was stormed by people who were pissed off at me. Really? Yep. Doors like kicked in. Stormed. Yep. Wow. Yep. How do you deal with that? I turned the microphone on yeah. oh, to idea. make sure it was documented. Um, I had a good laugh. <laughs> I mean, I'm not afraid. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, that's the thing. It's uh, it's not that I'm afraid of being in the social environments. I just get uncomfortable. Like, and I wouldn't say I get anxieties. I don't like, yeah, like my heart doesn't start beating out of control. I I just feel really uncomfortable. Mm. That's all. Okay. Uh, and I don't like people who may know me and I don't know them and how they process an interaction in a way where I'm uh, I don't know how they're viewing me or what they're taking away from something just because I, one example, and it sticks out because I made a deal of it on, on Facebook a while back because someone wrote about how they saw me at a show in Chicago. It was a squatter place, a punk show. And I was chilling in a corner. I was, I was enjoying the show. I, you know, I paid to get in. I just kind of stood in a dark spot and watched the show. And he was like, they're, story was that oh sage is so full of himself you couldn't even mix it up with the regular joes at the <laughs> show i was like dude if you wanted to come over and say hi to me do it i i didn't know you knew me i, I don't know any of you motherfuckers I, like i'm in a punk show in chicago <laughs> like mm. i just like so that stuff does it weirds me out that I, is strange, yeah. and just the other day i went on a date which is so rare like maybe one of the only dates in my whole life but <laughs> yeah honestly um and we go to this small place next to a beach and we're sitting down in the back of the, the restaurant outside with this canopy. My back is to people. And then in the back corner, it's like, Sage? <laughs> Sage Francis? <laughs> I'm looking at her and she's like, what the fuck? And I like look back and this girl's coming up with a picture of me on her phone. <laughs> and I, I was like, she was like, Acting like it wasn't me, but I look just like him. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You look like Saint Francis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, is it you? Is it? And she made a big deal. And this isn't a common thing, but it it just was. Those. It's a rare instance where I'm out in in public, and then there's this interaction, and she hugged the girl I was with. It's like oh, no. you must be awesome because you're with him. <laughs> Which would you think would give me points? But I think she was freaked out by it. Yeah. So like second date or. <laughs> Well, now we're talking about babies, and I was like, "Nah, <laughs> no way." I want to. I want dating with Sage Francis as some kind of advice column, <laughs> a monthly advice column. You're for it? I, th- I, I want to do a speed dating TV show and see how quickly I can ruin a relationship. <laughs> um, we should ask you about lingo, seeing as that's why you're here, and I'll be killed if I don't bring it up. Uh, yeah. So, how did you enjoy the Lingo Festival? And did- I had an incredible time last night the crowd was packed they were also very attentive like they were there to listen Mm. so but not only that they were energetic there was good um 
back and forth with with me and the crowd and it just felt great it was a very uh successful evening i had a wonderful time i wish it could have gone longer than it did mm. normally i'm happy to get off stage and be like all right that's it that's just, yeah. i did exactly what i wanted to do yeah. the job's over or kind of but now let's do hugs but last night i did i i wanted to just keep going because they were just showering me with love and that was that was that was beautiful that's great well, I mean, I and I got to hear the other artists too. It was like there was uh, Ophelia, mm. as an Irish artist who who performed. Uh, Fifth Element was a group, I believe they're from here. Maybe not from Dublin. I don't know. But they, uh, and then there was this this guy Kevin something. Sorry, I can't remember his name. He was a spoken word artist who I met at Fringe, and um, it's it's weird being in this environment again around spoken word. Cause I did actively separate myself from the whole slam scene for years and yeah. years. It embarrassed me. It embarrassed me when I was presented as a slam poet introduced as a slam poet. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I, I didn't just like, it's something I did do, but that, that does not define. That's not my title. That's, don't yeah, yeah. do that because people hear that and they think of the worst slam styles. And I do too. It was nice to to be first like contacted. Like, was it? Does a festival in Ireland trying to bring you over? Is that something? Is that just something you'll, if you have the time, you'll do it, or is it? Oh, I'd love to go over to Ireland, like Ireland. Or? Yeah, no, they they contacted me, asked if I wanted to headline the Lingo Fest, and um, my month, I they that was a while ago. They they did that, and uh, my month was open. So I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, I love Ireland. Mm. I love Dublin. Mm. I brought my mom here a few years ago. Oh, cool. Show her the motherland. Did you bring but, her to brunch? <laughs> yeah. No, but that, I did bring her to Scotland after this to show her all the running Irishmen. <laughs> five star callback on Thank the brunch thing. I'm delighted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'd like to wrap up, I suppose, uh, maybe a morbid question, but you know, given the whole unusual death talk and that kind of thing, uh, you know, and given, you know, you've, been in funeral violence before do you have a song that you would want played at your funeral <laughs> it's morbid <laughs> maybe like one more cup of coffee to go by bob dylan since we were talking about him that's in my mind now um yeah alice by tom waits would be wonderful it's not about me though it's maybe i maybe like uh who's gonna be there now i have to think about who's <laughs> be, who's gonna be there. it probably would be a private event uh, for the most part so V. Dolan needs to pick. I gave him the rights to to handle all 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 the post death festivities. Yeah, I feel you guys are you guys are going to go out together at the same time in a blaze of glory. <laughs> I'm five years older than him, and he is in better shape. And <laughs> I feel like he definitely years, he's married, and he takes better care of himself. And he just has a he goes to the doctor. You know, he does regular like adult things. <laughs> I haven't seen a doctor un- unless it's in an emergency situation since I was 18 years old. Wow. So, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Or a dentist. Oh, man, I had to, I, I, I had to break that rule. I, I, I got extreme nerve pain about a month ago, and I, I, I had to. I was, like, I was doing some work, and I was just like, I, I felt like I was going to pass out. Like, I looked in the mirror, and I was green. Yeah. And my dentist was like... Yeah, uh, this tooth should have come out about 10 years ago. Yeah. You're going to suffer extreme pain if we don't do it right now. But was it a wisdom tooth or just a molar? No, it was kind of like an extra one in my kind of top okay. row. Because like, I did have that happen to me with the wisdom tooth. I, yeah, uh, but I knew they were coming in. Horrible. Horrible. 
but I yeah I was oh, I couldn't sleep it was that bad mm-hmm. and it was, it was I had to go I said so I went to an emergency like situation and they pulled it out with pliers <sighs> and then he said you have to get sur- oral surgery for the rest of them I'm like righto See <laughs> that's not happening <laughs> I'll be back in five years when the next one my dentist took a pain. photograph to show it to his colleagues and I'm like that's a bad sign yeah that's not good no and he's like don't worry I'm only going to show it to other dentists and I'm like what some kind of conference or something <laughs> on a fucking big well, screen what do I do with this <laughs> yeah no that didn't make me feel good yeah. but you know go to the dentist listeners <laughs> and or the doctor if you have to <laughs> don't listen to him it's all fake <laughs> <laughs> and at your funeral Con artists at your funeral make it about yourself I'm going to have a playlist of mine oh yeah yeah that's right oh, we yeah. have to do a lot of stuff four hours long <laughs> But um, anyway, we should wrap it up. Thank you, Sage, so, yeah. so much for Thank coming you in guys. today. It was awesome. Great to talk to you. And next time you're over, we'll, uh, we'll all go for brunch together, I guess. Respect. <laughs>
Considered killing myself cause of that It was a big deal, it was a blown cover It was over for me, my goose was cooked Stick a fork in me, the jig is up Blew my chances, the rest is history Our future was torn asunder It became abundantly clear I was only brought here to suffer At least I didn't include my name Thankfully I wrote the whole note in code And it had ten layers of scotch tape safety seal Making it impossible to open Plus it was set to self-destruct Whoever read it probably died laughing I wonder if they lived long enough to realize what happened. A year later, I came to understand that wasn't love that I was feeling for her. I had someone else to obsess over. I was older. I was very mature. I forged my time signature while practicing my parents' autograph because I was failing math. Disconnected the phone when I thought the teacher would call my home. Checked the mailbox twice a day. At the end of a long dirt road, steamed open a couple envelopes like I was in private detective mode. If you snoop around long enough for something in particular, you're guaranteed to find it. For better or worse, that's how I learned it's best to just keep some things private. It was the best of times. It was the end of times. Child with a pen and pad, writing a list of things I could never have. Walls in my house were paper thin, every squabble seemed to get deafening. My memory served me correctly and made it a point to avoid and forget some things. Proudly to keep from being embarrassed, never meant to upset or give grief to my parents. Kept my secrets, hidden my talents in my head, never under the mattress. Therapy couldn't break me, never learned a word that would ensure safety, so I spoke softly. Then I tiptoed off, and the door to my room was like a big old coffin. The way that it creaked when I closed it shut, anxiety's peaked when it opened up. As if everything that I was thinking would be exposed, I still sleep fully clothed. It was beautiful, it was brutal, it was cruel, it was business as usual, heaven, it was hell, used to wonder if I lived to see 12, when I did I figured that I was immortal, loved to dance but couldn't make it to the formal, couldn't bear watching my imaginary girlfriend bust a move with any other dudes, tone look was talking about a wild thing, but I was still caught up in some child things, scared of a god who couldn't spare the rod, it was clearly a brimstone of fire thing.
This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.